chapter 1. And I want to read uh, beginning in verse 5 down through the end of the chapter. And my focus is on verse 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. One thing to keep in mind, and I think even many commentators fail to keep in mind, is that John is writing to a church or to uh, an assembly that has had a portion of their church split off from them. And he is writing to that congregation to assure them that they are walking in the truth and that walking in that truth that they could, as a congregation, come to know with all certainty that they are living and walking and being born in eternal life. And if you know anything about churches, when people leave, there is little tremor there in the church and people can become unthinking about the things that they believe. But these people that left were actually denying the incarnation. And if you look over to chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, and you look down at verse 18, it says, Children, it is the last hour, just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, <clears throat> they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were all, all are not of us. And of course, when you look down at verse 22, he actually calls these people that left liars. Who is a liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the who? That Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And then if you look over again and look down at chapter 4 of this same book, he's going to tell that church, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has what? Come in the flesh. That's the incarnation. Is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so, these people, this was probably, as I mentioned on Sunday, an early form of Gnosticism. And here you had a congregation of people, and in that church, they were all confessing Jesus. And evidently, a false teacher came and begin to teach false doctrine, in essence denying the deity, the full deity, and the full humanity of Jesus Christ. And a group of those people followed them, and they left. And so here's a congregation that is needing that assurance, the assurance that he is writing to them. If you look in chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? Mm -hmm. You may know that you have eternal life. And so this really was a shook congregation, wasn't it? And they had a portion of that congregation leave. Now, what I'm interested in is in these verses that I read in chapter 1. I'm interested in verse 9 to really introduce a midweek devotional series. I don't know how long it's going to go, but it's going to be on David's sin concerning Bathsheba. It's probably one of the most well-known narratives in the Old Testament. And David did sin with Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband, Uriah, But we not only have the narrative of that transgression, we also have in our Old Testament his confession and we have his forgiveness. And I think we can get both instruction and encouragement as we kind of fill out some of the things that were going on in his life, some of the ramifications of that sin, some of the things that we can learn about the Lord in how the Lord handled that sin with David. Because as I was thinking, and I'm not sure that what I'm about to say is correct, but I I did give it some thought, it seems that that transgression by King David and his confession and forgiveness has more written on it in our Old Testament, just concerning that particular sin and transgression and the ramifications of it, than perhaps any other person in our Bible. Now there's lots of verses that say, I've sinned, but just given the context, looking at the background of it, we have a lot of context on that transgression. We actually have the background and knowledge of what was going on in David's heart during that time. We have information on what occurred. We don't know exactly the length of time between his transgression and Nathan's uh, rebuttal, rebuke of him, but it was somewhere nine months to a year. We have information on what was going on in between that time period. 
We have information on what David thought about that sin. We have the words that Nathan had to confront the king with. How would you like to have done that? We have Nathan's giving the consequences that were going to happen on David's transgression. We have David's confession. We have David's repentance. We have the statement of God's forgiveness of David on a sin in which the Old Testament provided no sacrifice for. Now just think about that. There were no sacrifices for willful sin. Did David give a, do a willful sin? Yes. He did do a willful sin. And when you take all that together, it makes me wonder if all that information is in there for a reason. And it would be for our edification, our instruction, and our admonition. Well, that brought me to 1 John 1.9. I won't tell you how I got there <clears throat> mentally. But I started wondering with the amount of information <clears throat> that the Old Testament gives about David, how much information in the New Testament do I have concerning confession and forgiveness of sin? And that brought me to 1 John 1.9. But I tried to think of other places where the New Testament deals with, in any form of detail, our confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness from God. I, I couldn't think of any other major narrative in my New Testament dealing with that. In fact, I looked up the word confess. You'll notice in verse 9, if we confess our what? So I said, well, that would, be, that would be a good place to start. So I looked up the word confess. That word is only used here about confession of sin. All the other places, guess what you're confessing? Christ. Christ. So the answer to my question is, how frequently does the New Testament command or exhort us to spend time confessing our sin? My answer to that was, not very frequent. Now having said that, I don't think that means that we are not to spend time confessing sin. Because in our Bibles as a whole, we have ample illustration. We have prayers of men and women confessing their sin and receiving forgiveness. We have psalms that illustrate our need of cleansing, even as a child of God, don't we? And even in this passage here, we have an emphasis on cleansing, probably in relationship to the people who had left that assembly that John is writing to. 
But note what he says in verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message that we heard from Him and announced to you. Now here's the message. God is what? God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is light. Well, then he says, verse 6, application of that message, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light. So he's talking about our walk, isn't he? If we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light. Okay. So here's the question. Light. We're to walk in the light. God is light. It certainly could be referring to His glory. But basically, when it says walk in the light, it means that we are to walk in the truth. We could word it this way. God is truth. And in Him there is no untruth. Now why do I say that? Because, brethren, Second John says, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, God who has shown in our hearts, that's light, right? He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. Everybody see that? That's truth, right? Give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is radiating truth. God is light. And that light represents truth in God. God cannot lie, the Scripture says. And so we're to walk in that light. And if we walk in the light, as Christ Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now note verse 7. And the blood of Jesus His Son does what? So according to verse 7, how do you receive cleansing? As a believer. You walk in the truth. You walk in the light. But folks, here's another corollary. When you walk in the light, you know you need cleansing. When you draw near to the light, you're going to find out you're sinful. (laughs) And you commit acts of sin. And aren't you glad the answer for that cleansing is not to run away from the light, but to run to the light and walk in the light. And if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, the blood of Jesus His Son 
It's present tense. Continually cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. That is a great privilege to be able to do that. Now, here's what a person could take that and make a logical step that is perverted. They could say, well, that, that means I don't have a sin nature. If I'm continually cleansed from all sin, I am sinless. And he says, verse 8, well, if we say we have no sin, which evidently those false teachers said, if we say we have no sin, we are what? Deceiving. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You're not walking in the light if that's what you're saying. And folks, the fact of the matter is is that we're all sinful, aren't we? Even the best of us. Even as near to the light as you could be in this life you will still need the continual cleansing of your sin before God. There's no place of sanctification where you arrive. That sinful nature will die when your body dies. But if we draw near, and that nearness has joy with it, we will find that we're more sinful than we thought we were. And thanks be to God, He knows that. We walk in the truth, and the blood of His Son continually cleanses us from all sin. Well, then John says, well, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And note the the parallel here in verse 7. Cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So folks, part of walking in the truth is confessing our sins. And those are acts of sin. And if you would say, verse 10, well... I've not sinned. I've not committed acts of sin. Well, you will make him a liar and the truth is not in you. Folks, even the best of us are going to commit acts of what? Acts of sin. Every day. Now folks, the great thing is is that what God requires when we when we commit an act of sin and, and the Scripture and that conscience works together, and you note that, the answer to that is to confess it. It's to confess it. It's not to do penance for it. It's not to pay money to get an indulgence for it. It's to what? Confess it. Meaning to say the same thing about that sin that God says. In other words, you're not trying to hide it. David, when he was rebuked by David uh, by Nathan, did he try to hide it? He just immediately said, "What? 
I sinned. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous. The King James used the word trust, uh, just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, it just takes full confession. Now that full confession can take depths. But it's not that you've got to weep a certain amount of time or you've got to flagellate yourself with whips and chains for a certain amount of time to show God that you really mean it. You just what? You confess it. And it is righteous for Him to forgive us. It is right for Him to do that. And not only is He right to do it, He's faithful to do it. Did you read that? He's faithful to what? Forgive us. The devil in your flesh will say God's not. But He is faithful. And it is a righteous thing for Him to do so. How can He do that? Look in chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. That's probably referring to the same sin that these people left in following these false teachers. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole what? The whole world. Did you hear what that text says to you? If you commit an act of sin... We have an advocate with the Father. This is the paraclete that our sister was speaking and being very thankful for. It's probably referring to His intercession for you. Jesus Christ, He is the righteous one. Are you righteous? No. He's righteous. You're going to confess your sins. And in doing that, we have someone at the right hand of God interceding for us, the righteous one. Our righteous one. Now note the one who is advocating, he himself, the one advocating, is the propitiation for our sins. Do you get the impact of that? The person interceding, advocating on your behalf, He Himself is your satisfaction for your sins. It's not that He knows that He couldn't make it satisfaction. The One who is our satisfaction for our transgressions against God at the right hand of God. It's Him 
who's interceding and advocating for you. When you go and you confess your sins to God. Folks, I don't know of any better invitation to say go to Him and ask forgiveness. (laughs) You don't have to be afraid to do that. He's faithful. God's righteous. You say, but that's what I'm afraid of. He's righteous. Yes, He is righteous, but the satisfaction of that righteousness is our advocate. Now folks, that's what David had to do when he transgressed with Bathsheba. There's no sacrifice in the Old Testament system for what he did. It was willful sin on his part. If there's no sacrifice, what hope does he have? He's got to go to God. He's got to plead for mercy. Now, did he receive it? Yes. He did receive it. Amazing thing. He knew to go to the reality, not the shadow. And folks, when we think about that transgression in the days ahead, and we look at the gravity of it, we look at the hideousness of it, what we're going to find is a faithful and righteous God cleansing David from all sin, ramifications for that sin, yes or no? Yes. But folks, the same one that committed that sin is the one who's laying money aside for the temple. The same one who received the Davidic covenant. Is that not amazing? And you may want to jot these passages down as we conclude. These are the passages that we're going to be focusing on in our study. The largest narrative is in 1 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. And you'll find the ramifications of all that happening very quickly in chapter 13 and following. We'll also read a very small section in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And then we have two psalms that David wrote coming out of that transgression. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And one of the questions that I hope to answer as we go through is this. Did Nathan rebuke David? Did David confess? He he just said, I have sinned. Did Nathan declare that God had forgiven him? Then why did David write Psalm 32 and Psalm 51? Because David, David did some heart work before the Lord. 
I mean, David could have just walked away after Nathan said, you've, you've, God's going to cleanse you from this too, and walked away and said, what? Tell her. I'm going to believe God. But he wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And you're going to find in those two Psalms a man in tears and broken as he meditates on his transgression to God. It's an amazing, amazing story that I think that we can gain much from in the days ahead.